Welcome to the Revolutionary Stewardship Podcast. I'm your host, J.D. Shears, a pastor, certified kingdom advisor, certified stewardship instructor, and an investment advisor representative. We will be discussing topics such as biblically responsible investing, estate planning, and wealth transfer that will benefit you as an obedient steward. Christianity is revolutionary. Shouldn't your stewardship be as well? This broadcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. The year was 1987. I had just finished playing my first year of college football at a small Baptist college in Indiana. I actually went to college to play football. I really didn't have an area or a major that I was focused on at age 18. I just knew I wanted to play football. But after 12 months, I was trying to get my life in line and figure out what I wanted to do. And I realized I wanted to be in law enforcement. Well, I spoke to my college counselors and they said, well, Jay, maybe sociology is a good area of study for you. And at the same time, I happened to run into a army recruiter. The army recruiter asked me the same question. Jay, what do you want to be when you grow up? So, well, you know, I really want to be in law enforcement. I want to be a police officer. Well, the army recruiter says, we have the job for you. Son, have you ever heard about the military police corps? Well, I had, but I wasn't real familiar. But we spent some time together, and I realized that was sounded really good. I wanted to do that. November of 1987, I shipped out for basic training in Fort McClellan, Alabama. I spent four months there, graduated in April of uh, 1988. At that time, the United States was, was beginning to have problems with General Manuel Noriega in Panama. Well, out of my basic training class... There were about 12 of us that were, were sent to Panama. When I arrived in Panama, it was the first time this, this young Midwest Indiana boy had really been anywhere. I'd been on family vacations to beaches and things like that, but I'd never been out of country. And to land into Panama was quite the experience. I loved it. New culture, new language. Just everything was different and, and exciting, and it was just really kind of right up my alley. It, I, 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 I excelled. Well, after I arrived in Panama, I spent about two years as a patrolman uh, doing different things, and then we went, uh, a group of us went to Costa Rica for four months uh, and lived in a tent for four months, a tent city. There were 20 of us military policemen that provided security for about 800 engineers from Fort Benning, Georgia, as they built Bailey Bridges for the the poor areas of Costa Rica. There were no cars. It was basically horseback. The only people that had cars were maybe some of the ranchers and and, um, some of the the doctors in the area had had vehicles. I I was just living life. It It was just an incredible time period. After we returned from, from Costa Rica, I was notified that I had to go speak to the CID office. Well, if any of you know anything about CID, it's the Criminal Investigation Division. And I, my first question is, why, why do I need to go speak to the CID office? They said, they, they want to talk to you about filling a position. I'm like, well, sure, I'll, I'll go have a chat. Um, so I went and, and had an interview at the Criminal Investigation Division, Atlantic Branch Office, and they said, Jay, uh, you were recommended to us based on your professionalism, based on your, your uh, 
you know, just basically where you were excelling at, at, at what you were doing at the MP company. And we would like for you to work on our drug suppression team. I thought, man, this is it. Yeah, you know, I, I have hit the big time. Now, I understand at that time I was probably 22 or 23 years of age. Still very young, still very naive, but I was growing quickly. I had no idea uh, what I just accepted to do. I went from age 22 to age 52 in a matter of weeks. Some of the things that I did, some of the things that I saw, some of the things that I seen other people do was beyond anything that I, I knew existed in this world. The, the amount of death and slave trading and just pure violence involved in the drug trade was incredible. I was actually involved in some of the largest cocaine seizure transactions for the Criminal Investigation Division at that time. We were making large, large seizures in the millions of dollars. And as a 22 or 23-year-old, I couldn't believe that I was the one that was actually orchestrating that. I was running investigations. I was running teams. I was bringing in confidential informants from other countries to do things. Like I said, I went from age 22 to 52. Little did I know that at that time, I was really on a path that God had put me on. I was learning things that most people do not even see on television. I was being exposed to things in this world that most people only talk about in secret. To say that that it did not have a lasting effect on me would be a, a, just a horrendous lie. To this day, it developed me to who I am. It, it has developed me. It, it created a core inside of me on what is right and what is wrong. After I left Panama, I was in the service for a few more years. I actually got out during the Clinton administration. I actually, uh, they had a, at that time, they had a voluntary exodus. <laughs> um because they were downsizing military. And, and I personally did not like what I, what I saw in regards to what the new administration was doing. Because I had served under President Reagan. I would served under President Bush. And then when I seen the transition and some of the things that were being done, I, I really didn't want anything to do with it at that point. I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into civilian law enforcement. When I got out, it was actually very difficult for me to find a civilian a police officer job because the amount of, of experience I had at such a young, early age, I was automatically viewed as someone who was going to come in and take over things. I had actually been asked that question. Jay, with someone with your experience, why are you wanting to work here? Because I had applied at some of the smaller police departments in Indiana, uh, you know, towns of fifteen or 20,000. And... You know, the the sheriff actually interviewed me. He said, "You," he said, "You're my competition." He said, "Why? You know, why? Why would I hire you? You know, you've got more experience than my entire police department. My entire, all of my deputies combined do not have the level of experience that you have, and you've only been doing this for five years." So at that time, I was friends with, uh, or my family was friends with a a state representative. He said, "Jay, they're starting an, a, a opening a new prison and." Um, we would like for you to be involved in, 
and the training, I thought, you know, I, I really want nothing to do with, you know, the prison system and, and corrections. But I had a family, and I had a family to feed, uh, and that was my priority. So I said, sure. So I, I actually accepted the position. Um, I was placed in the position of lieutenant after about uh, two and a half years. I was on the personal protection training department. I was on the hostage, hostage extraction team. I was on the emergency response team. So all the things that high speed, low drag kind of, of, of people do. Um, in a matter of about three years, I'd been sued about 40 times for excessive use of force. Uh, if you know anything about the prison system, most of those are frivolous. But I, I didn't put up with much. Um, and being in my late 20s at that time, my blood pressure was extremely high. You know, I was running, you know, 150 over 110 type of blood pressure. I'd actually went on high blood pressure medicine at age 28. And my dad at that time said, Jay, you're just going to die early. You're just not going to live long in that lifestyle. You know, you've been shot at, you know, working drug suppression in Panama. Now, you you know, you're, you're exposing yourself to violence and, and your blood pressure is high. Your health is not good. I said, Dad, I, I'm good at what I do. I, don't, I really don't want to do anything else. I said, what, what are you suggesting to me? He said, Jay, do what I do. Well, my dad was a financial planner for 32 years. I said, Dad, I, I can't do what you do. He said, Jay, you could tell bad people what to do with a gun. Okay, you could tell murderers and rapists and serial killers uh, what to do. But you can't tell people what to do with their money? I said, that's a pretty good point. That's a pretty good point. So in 1996, I made the scariest transition or one of the scariest transitions I've ever made in my life. I've actually made two. And I went into the financial services arena, the financial services discipline. And I had no idea what I was doing. Zero. I, 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 now, understand that I, I understood numbers because when it comes to money laundering and cocaine trafficking, I, I, could, I could dissect the truth from the negative. Okay, Truth from lies when it comes to analyzation of, of reports. And a long story short, I actually did very well very early in the financial services profession. And here's why. Because I was a fresh face and I was not a salesman. Okay? I wasn't selling used cars. You know, I wasn't an emotional person. And when it came to money, I really became very, very uh, well-versed in what people were looking for. They were looking for truth. They were not looking for someone to sell them, you know, a 12% return. They were looking for truth. And that was right up my alley. They were, they were looking for someone that was not trying to sell them anything. They just wanted help. That was who I was. And after a few years, people would ask, Jay, you know, why are you doing so well in this, this business? You're new to this area, this, this discipline. I said, because I tell, I don't sell. You know, you, you either do it or you don't. If you do it, this, this is what you should, you should expect. If you don't, this is what you should expect. After about six years, I became the number one producer in the seventh largest financial company in the world. People, I was in my early 30s. I went from making about $18,000 a year to, taking, to making mid-six figures. I, I just couldn't believe it. Absolutely could not believe 
the amount of money that I was making doing that kind of work. Now, let me interject something here because it, it, it's actually a very important part of this, this topic. Now, I was a born-again Christian at age 16. I was dunked, uh, baptized in my uncle's cow pond. We had to move the moss out of the way so I had room to get, get put under. I've always been a, a churchgoer. My mom and dad uh, attended the Church of Christ in Indiana. My grandpa preached. My dad preached. So I've, I've, I was raised as a Christian, as a believer. But let me tell you something about the financial services area. Christianity was not discussed in the financial profession. Now, yes, I was a Christian, but the, that does not mean I was giving good Christian financial advice. What I realized after several years is I was giving worldview advice, where everything was focused on return and how much money you made. At the age of 32 or 33, People were booking two to three months out to get an appointment with me. I had made a name for myself, and I thought that was important. You know, it was about the, the, the size of the house that I had and the number of cars that I had and the trips that I took. The focus was on materialistic things, and it wasn't on humility. It was, it, it was based on my aura. It was based on my name. Now, let's fast forward to 2008. Over those years, I still continued to do very well. Very, very well. In 2008, I received a phone call from someone who was in the faith-based or worked for a faith-based mutual fund company. They called me in the afternoon and said, Jay, we'd like to invite you to a meeting. I said, listen, I said, I know who you are. I know what you do. Heard about the, the, the particular mutual fund company, but I'm really just not that interested. And the reason I said that is because at that time, in, in, in 2008, they, historically, they did, their, their returns were just not that great. And I was still worldview mentality. You know, it's all about returns. It's all about how much money we make. Well, the next morning, I woke up at about 6 o'clock, which I always did because I'm a workaholic. Uh, and I work 12 to 14 hours a day and still do. And for whatever reason, I knew I was going to that meeting. Now, the meeting was two hours away. And I told my wife, I said, listen, I'm going to Indianapolis. Uh, I'm going to this meeting. She said, well, you never said anything about it last night. I said, because I had no intention to go last night. When I woke up this morning, apparently something happened in my sleep that I knew I had to go. Well, in retrospect, I know that was God, God pushing me. <coughs> so I went to this meeting and it was something that I had not experienced in the financial planning arena. They opened with prayer. Something that doesn't, something as simple as that, believe it or not, struck me as very strange. Even though I pray, and I prayed at the time, I was not offended by prayer. Like I said, I was a born again Christian, still attended church regularly every Sunday, you know, Wednesdays. But it, it just felt different. <clears throat> and the topic came up because they were rolling out a fund at that time that supported Israel. And a gentleman in the crowd, there were probably 40 or 50 advisors in the crowd uh, that were attending this meeting. And he said, you know, isn't, isn't the Israeli investment very risky? And the gentleman who, who founded the fund said, do you believe what scripture says? And we're all like, well, yeah. So well, if you believe what scripture says, then you realize that Netanyahu will never wipe Israel off the face of the planet. At that particular second, I realized something had just changed in my life. 
on my way home, I had a two-hour drive home, I had tears in my eyes because I was accepting the fact that I had been doing wrong. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. But I realized that my profession was not focused on stewardship and obedience. It was just not. It was focused on materialistic things. It was focused on coveting, always wanting more and greed. And it struck me like a bulldozer. I called my wife on the way home. I said, I'm about to do something that you may find very strange because I am very methodical. She said, what, what is the, what is it? I said, I, I'm, I'm changing how I do things. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, I am changing my financial planning firm to a faith-based only firm. We are only going to provide faith-based, biblically responsible investments. And of course she became a little concerned. She said, how is this going to affect us? I said, I have no idea. I have no idea. Little did I know that the financial planning services companies was not very open-minded. I ran into several, several roadblocks. Most people said, you know, that's, uh, we just don't want anything to do with that. I had, I'm in a business where compliance is a, a, a daily part of my uh, uh, planning and I had uh, compliance departments that were saying, no, no, we're, you're, we're not going to allow you to say these things. And when I'm talking about saying things, I'm talking about telling people that they may be invested in things that support issues that are contrary to their beliefs. They said, no, 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 no. We just, we don't feel comfortable with that. I actually had to change companies. I had to, to leave the company that, that I had done so well at. And I had to move to a company that would actually allow me to provide faith-based financial planning services and talk about biblical responsible investing. So let's fast forward from 2008 to today's date. Now over that time, once again, I had made a name for myself as one of those people. And there were just a handful of us back in, in the 2008 time period that were actually providing biblically responsible investment advice. Faith-based financial planning. I'm, when I say a handful, I, you, you have to understand my position in the profession. I had done very well. I knew a lot of people. And a lot of people knew me. I didn't know anyone that was providing biblically responsible investing advice. Zero. None. Now, <clears throat> as I continued through this, I chopped down a lot of trees and made a path for this particular type of planning. And over that time period, it became more popular. I was a little concerned about the popularity of it because I was a source that other advisors were told to call regardless of where they worked, whether they worked at Edward Jones or Ameriprise or LPL or one of the banks or whatever it may be. Through a, a series of, of connections, people would call some of these faith-based uh, or a faith-based mutual fund who I had a very close relationship with. And they were asking, how, how do we do this? How do we even talk about this? How do we, how do we deal with our compliance? And, and the people at the mutual fund companies would say, we're going to give you the name of Jay Shears and maybe you ought to talk to them. And they would call and I would spend a considerable amount of time helping my competition. But you have to understand, I don't, I don't consider serving God as being competitive. 
And if one of the first questions out of their mouth was, how do you sell the people in your church? The conversation was over because they don't get it. Financial stewardship is, is an act of obedience. It is not about selling people in your church. It's about education and helping people become better stewards. Now, in 2020, we have, we have been faced with many, many things. I see the popularity of faith-based or values-based financial planning. And I think a lot of people have their heart in the right place. But I, I don't know everyone. <clears throat> and some of the things that I see and what people are actually doing don't line up, if you understand what I'm saying. People are focused on the sales or the increased sales by publicizing themselves as faith-based financial planners. So let me, let me actually bring you back to why this is important. So I've just told you in, in the last 15 or 20 minutes who I am and what made me who I am. Okay? I've got stories that would fill books. When people hear me speak, they sit with their, their jaws dropped wide open, eyes real big, and they're like, we've never met anyone like you that tells the stories that you tell. They said, you need to write books, Jay. I said, listen, I said, what I real, have realized is that God put me on a particular path to help people. I, I, I am able to tell stories. I'm able, able to interact and, and align the reason or the reasoning for doing certain things. And when it comes to financial stewardship, I'm no longer on the, on the street working undercover with a gun on my side, even though I still carry a gun quite often. But I'm still fighting the good fight because there is right and there is wrong. Okay, I don't live in a world of gray area. You, you either are being obedient and glorifying God or you're rebelling against God. There is no middle ground. And when it comes to financial stewardship, I believe that 100%. So how do we make a difference in this world? It's by being obedient as financial stewards. Do you realize that over 2,300 scriptures in the Holy Bible talk about stewardship? I always tell people that God knew we were that we were going to be knuckleheads when it comes to financial stewardship. He knew we were going to struggle with debt. He knew we were going to struggle with materialism. He knew we were going to struggle with greed and coveting. And he gave us the roadmap to circumvent those problems. But very few people actually use scripture as investing 101 or financial planning 101 when all the answers are actually there. So as we, as we transition this part of our lives, my view is this. <clears throat> Christianity was never meant to be this passive, peace-loving quiet type of movement. If we look at Acts 17.6, Acts 17.6, it says, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Christianity is revolutionary. Christianity is revolutionary. Why do we allow the world to dictate how we invest? Why do we allow the world to dictate how we, how we are charitable givers? How do we allow the world to dictate 
the materialistic issues that we struggle with in our lives because that is exactly what is going on. Do you know that the only thing that breaks the power of money over people, only thing is charitable giving? Now I will do a series of, of programs on that particular topic. But over the last quarter of a century, that is what I have found. Do you realize that being an obedient steward is the only, only path to contentment in regards to financial well-being? Most people on a month-to-month basis are looking at how much money they've made or lost. There's no contentment there. As we progress through these podcasts, and I, I encourage you, to tune in and listen to these podcasts because I'm going to bring you to a different level of financial stewardship that you've probably never heard. You're going to hear things that put or puts financial stewardship in perspective. I'm going to give you one example right now. Are you pro-life or pro-choice? Now, I hope you just answer that pro-life. If you're pro-life, what do you do to, do, to, to push that narrative in your stewardship? The answer is probably nothing. You may give to pro-life charitable organizations. But do you know that you have options within your investments to make sure that you, that you are not supporting pro-choice, the murder of unborn children? That's just part of biblically responsible investing. What biblically responsible investing is, is aligning your beliefs with your stewardship. It's a very new narrative. It's a very new perspective. You actually get a choice. Now, I re- recently seen that that there were certain businesses being boycotted because they were giving to certain political campaigns. Now, people are boycotting over non-biblical topics. Okay? Choosing what restaurants to eat is a non-biblical topic. But they are not boycotting based on biblical topics. Listen, I would never knowingly own a company that profits or supports life-ending scientific research, abortion, murdering unborn children. I would never knowingly do that. And now I know how to avoid those things. I would never knowingly invest in a company that creates victims. I would never knowingly invest in a company that profits from or supports the the pornography industry. That is now my choice. That is now my, my, my obedience to the topic. Once again, there is no gray area. You are either glorifying God and you understand our DNA is programmed to glorify God. If we're not glorifying God, we're rebelling against God. Now, I'm going to end the podcast on that particular note. I encourage you to listen. If you want to learn how to be an obedient steward, number one, there is no guilt for ignorance here. I understand that you may have current advisors, that you've never been told some of these things, that you have never learned any of these things. It's actually not being discussed from the pulpit on Sundays. You know, charitable giving may be, tithing, offerings may be, But the 2,300 different scriptures in the gospel are very seldom glazed over at the most. 
I actually spoke to people at the seminary and said, how, how much do you, are you teaching the, these new uh, uh, pastors about financial stewardship? And they said, not very much. Not very much. Because it runs people out of churches when you talk about money. I said, well, maybe we ought to focus on the truth. Maybe we ought to be more like Jason. You know, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Financial stewardship is obviously a very important topic, or God wouldn't have given us the level of instruction that he did in Scripture. So as we progress weekly through these different topics, I ask that you have an open mind. I ask that you be willing to change. Change your lifestyle. Change to obedience. Change to get out of the worldview because there, you will never reach contentment as long as you live with worldview in regards to financial stewardship. If you have questions about any of the topics that I discuss, please visit us at kingdomplanadvisory.com. Kingdomplanadvisory.com. You're going to learn a lot through this podcast series. And I ask for your prayers. I ask for your prayers to support this podcast. I ask for your prayers to give me the topics to discuss. Because I know that people are struggling. I ask for your prayers that everything that comes out of my mouth is truth. That there is no deceit. That everything is for the glorification of God. I look forward to spending a multitude of time with you in regards to this particular topic. God bless you, and let's look to this future of being obedient in our stewardship. Thank you for listening to Revolutionary Stewardship. I encourage you to visit KingdomPlanAdvisory.com to read our latest articles and sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to arrange a free stewardship consultation, please schedule on our website, or you may call 888 888- 226-7614. Securities offered through Vanderbilt Securities LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered with MSRB. Advisory services offered through Vanderbilt Advisory Services. God bless.